This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Anna Van Acker speaks about fighting cancer. Now let's join Moses as he welcomes Anna to the stage. The most important thing I want to get across in introducing this next speaker is that not all innovation begins with a solitary genius inventor working in a garage. That's the big idea. Sometimes, indeed, it comes from a major corporation, and so I'd like to call to the stage Anna von Acker, who is the president of Merck Canada. So, thank you, Moses. So, I'm really happy to be here and to represent Merck Canada. We are a biopharmaceutical company with a very simple, straightforward mission to save and improve lives. And that's why I get up in the morning, actually to make sure that the next Canadian patient can get to the treatment he or she needs to live life better. Merck has been inventing new medicines and new vaccines for a very long time. And you may imagine that bringing those vaccines and medicines to Canada, but all over the world, is a huge endeavor. We have been doing it for 125 years. That's a very long time. Now, on the other hand, being in research and development is a very risky business. It's time-consuming and it's very expensive. And to illustrate that to you, To get to an effective medicine or to get to an effective vaccine, it will take on average 10 to 15 years and it will have cost $2.5 billion. Now, if you look at the nature of this invention work, it really has a failure rate of 95%. But we do know if we get to the 5%, that has the potential to change course of diseases. It has the potential to change the world. It has the potential to really, in unprecedented, glorious way, make the difference for patients, families, and communities. So, let me take you back to the year 1981. Patients were dying from a mysterious unknown disease. One year later, 
CDC announced the name of the disease. It was called AIDS. People were dying, which was extremely scary because there was no solution. And Merck was at the forefront to really start very, very quickly on the research related to the fight of AIDS and HIV. As you know, AIDS is caused by a virus, the human immunodeficiency virus. By the beginning of the 80s, really the research started, but it took till the 90s when the researchers really could come up with the first effective treatment that could in some way change the course of the disease in terms of life expectancy and in terms of preventing death. Now, over 30 years, better treatments have come to surface. In the beginning, it were combination therapies, which kind of came with different type of challenges. First of all, there were a lot of side effects. But on the other hand, there was an extreme pill burden. Some of these patients had to take between 12 to 15 pills per day. If you look at HIV today, you can actually compare it with a chronic condition because it only needs few pills and people can live a quite healthy life. It doesn't mean that the fight has stopped. We have to continue to find new ways to make sure that patients one day can perhaps be cured or free of this virus. On the other hand, the fight is also to really look at those patients that don't have access yet to the medications. Patients that not have been reached yet in terms of prevention measures, in terms of making sure they get some type of care and need, and a therapy might, might be part of that. You can think about marginalized conditions, even here in Canada. Or you can look even at developing countries where it's very difficult to get to patients. So to get and ensure that there is a big reach and a big access to these medications that can change your life, it really leads collaboration. The collaboration is most of the time between private and public. It most of the time involves global and local communities. And if I talk about communities, we have to be extremely cultural sensitive and take into account the needs and the empowerment of those that are involved. Now, to give you another example of that, is really talking about Ebola. Now, you might say this is very far from my bed. I can tell you Ebola is very close to home because the experimental vaccine that was developed for Ebola was actually from Canada. The Public Health Agency of Canada had developed what's called V920. Very quickly, Merck came on board to really take the vaccine to the next level. Now, how did we do that? First of all, because we have know-how, expertise, resources and investment. First of all, to advance the development, to look into the manufacturing, but also to be able to orchestrate everything that is needed in case of an outbreak. And you can imagine in such a complex, dire situation, what it takes to make sure that when there is an outbreak, patients that need it, people that need it, get vaccinated. In the case of Ebola, this was really governments 
that were decision makers, stakeholders, the US, African countries, but it were also big organizations like WHO, Médecins Sans Frontières, working together with all the barriers and all the difficulties, expected and unexpected, that take place to make sure that at the end of the day, I can tell you 120,000 people were vaccinated. That's changed the trajectory of the latest outbreak in Congo. Again, we can be extremely proud because it started with a Canadian vaccine. So that brings me to the next topic. One we are discussing here, I think we can talk about something which is the biggest challenge of this day and age, which is called the seabird cancer. Now, I would like to ask you, by show of hands, who of you have had cancer or had anybody close to you that was struck by cancer? Please. It is absolutely devastating to see how much cancer has done to all of us in a very negative way. But let me first start with a positive story. First of all, certain cancers can be prevented. They can be prevented through lifestyle changes. There are also specific cancers that are caused by a virus. The virus is called HPV, human papillomavirus. There are vaccines available against HPV. So that means that we can, through the vaccination against HPV, prevent certain specific cancers. And I can tell you, 75% of sexually active Canadians will encounter an HPV infection during their lifetime. So it's absolutely necessary to really look at the good news, which is through lifestyle changes and to vaccination, certain cancers can be changed. Coming up after the break. With an aging population, an increase of the cancer cases, but also new therapies, we need to look at the sustainability and the affordability of the healthcare system. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Anna Van Acker speak about fighting cancer. On my father's 40th birthday, my mother got the news that she needed to make all arrangements because my father had weeks or months at most to live. I was 11 years old, the oldest of four. My youngest brother was five. You can imagine in this context, what it means in terms of the devastation, the emotional side, but also the whole medical and the whole aspect of family and connection. Now, not to worry, my father did survive for 25 years, but he had, due to his indication, which was Hodgkin lymphoma, severe consequences of his surgery and of his really very devastating radiation. Now, let's fast forward 46 years later. There are two things we really need to understand. One in every two Canadians will get cancer in their lifetime. This is according to the Canadian 
cancer society. So look around you, one in two will get cancer. This is actually amplified because of the aging population who disproportionately get more cancers. Next step, however, there is progress. The outlook is more positive than it was in the past. And you can see here that actually through a number of tools, which is first of all education about prevention, secondly about really screening, which means detection, early detection. I would really encourage all of you, if you're up for a screening, please do so. And perhaps also look at the new strategies that were put in place, which really had, let's say, a positive movement on this. We also know, anybody that was familiar with cancer, that there are a couple of aspects that can happen. So first of all, obviously, there is the aspect of doing nothing, but there is surgery available, there is radiation available, and there is chemotherapy available. And perhaps a combination of those, what we call three pillars in cancer treatment. However, today, we have a new type of treatment, which is called cancer immunotherapy. Now, I'm not an expert, I'm not a scientist, but the most easy way to explain it is actually you. It is the own immunoresponse that will really fight the cancer. And it does it in two ways. First of all, by really making sure that the cancer, and I can tell you cancers are very smart, very devious, they hide, they mask themselves, by unmasking the cancer and to by making sure that the own immune system really gets the strength to be able to fight the cancer. Now, I have a nice picture here. I mean, you can imagine cancer as a snake and our immune system as an eagle. As you can see, the eagle doesn't see the snake. What the immunotherapy does is really to unmask the snake, make it very visible, and make the eagle stronger to attack and fight the snake. So let me now translate this into what does it mean? Because at the end of the day, that fight continues. We need to continue to unlock treatments, specifically also the possibilities around cancer immunotherapy to make sure that more and more people not only get the treatment, but also have access to the treatment in a sustainable, responsible uh, way. So when we bring it back to Canada and specifically for Merck, we continue our research. And if you look at what we do in independent research support, we actually have invested last year $7 million 70 million dollars in terms of independent research. If you look over the last 10 years, in Canada we have invested 1 billion dollars, mainly in oncotherapy. The second piece in research which we have is about clinical trials. We have around 125 clinical trials here in Canada. Of those, more than 100 are based on oncology. So that means that at the end of the day, there are many patients that are involved, and I really would do a shout out to thank those patients, because it's based on the patients in clinical trials that provide the insights and the data that we can get to the next indication and to the next big group of patients to be benefiting from this.
The other aspect of it, which is clearly something I already mentioned, are the collaborations. Because at the end of the day, with an aging population, an increase of the cancer cases, but also new therapies, we need to look at the sustainability and the affordability of the healthcare system. Therefore, we work together, first of all, with healthcare professionals, because if you look at the patient and the healthcare system, it's very difficult sometimes to navigate it. And we observe that sometimes it takes a long time between the diagnosis and the treatment. And if there's one thing that cancer patients don't have, it's time. So we can bring and work on solutions on how to help the patient in devastating circumstances still get to the treatments he or she needs. The second thing is really to work with governments, payers, patient organizations, etc., to look at what does it take, what budgets need to be available, but also to look at how can we make headroom in those budgets so that we have a long-term view on being able to deal, again, in a responsible, sustainable, affordable way with the increase in cancer and the availability of the therapies. So, let me summarize what I have tried to convey to you. First of all, it takes big collaborations in order to deal with big challenges and big diseases. That's number one. Number two, Merck is globally and in Canada extremely committed to work on that next solution, on that next invention of an innovative medicine. And if you look specifically at cancer, you can... Please take away that, yes, lifestyle changes can happen because they will lead to positive outcomes in terms of cancer. And for very specific cancers, HPV-related, there might be a solution in terms of vaccination. So ultimately, what we want to do is make sure that the next generation of kids, young boys and girls, don't have to experience cancer. Imagine that I come back for the 40th anniversary and I ask a raise of hands and there's few or perhaps none. I think that should be the bold dream we all have to work on this. And I can tell you, please count on Merck and on the pharma industry to continue this journey relentlessly. Thank you very much. It wasn't that long ago, Anna, that we were told I would read that your chances of getting cancer were one in four. And then it was one in three. And now you say it's one in two, two which is shocking. It's shocking. It's disturbing. And my question is what? What's happened? Why this increase? It's mainly because of the aging population. If you look at the epidemiology, of the population in general, you see that it's really quickly changing into elder layers of the population. Those patients disproportionately have cancers. So as that volume grows, the number of cancers will also grow in that population. It is devastating, but it's both a problem, I think, of an aging population and to make sure they live healthy, they have the care and the needs and the education and the early detection. On the other hand, we need very, very efficient, affordable, sustainable uh, therapies. So in a bizarre way, it's an aspect of good news. 
If we died Somehow. younger, we wouldn't die from <laughs> cancer. Somehow. We'd Somehow. die from something else. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you very much. No, for thank that you. Very it was a pleasure. Talk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.